Hello and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property designed to be of interest to anyone who has an interest in property. Property Matters is supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find the show live every week on our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk, or by searching Property Matters TV on YouTube or Facebook. And Property Matters is also available now as a podcast uh, every Monday morning uh, from 10am. You can stream and download from your favourite podcast platforms, which you can see on the screen now. No matter where you're enjoying the live show each week or whether you're watching us on Catch Up, we'd love you to get involved in the conversation by adding your comments below. And if you'd like to email us, we have an address. It's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. So what are the big stories of the week? Let's find out with Joe Joshi. Hello um, and um, good morning, um, everyone. Uh, yes, of course, another uh, thrilling uh, week in property, of course. So uh, uh, let's crack on and, and see what we can uh, underline. The first one today is the affordability index, or should that be the unaffordability index? So this is something that the government's uh, Office for National Statistics publishes on a regular basis, and it's the list of how much house prices are in terms of average income. The uh, financial year ending 31st of March 2021, the average home sold in England cost the equivalent of 8.7 times the average annual disposable household income. In Wales, that ratio was 6, and in Scotland, it was 5.5. While purchase affordability ratios for the average home uh, are uh, below their peak in Wales and Scotland, affordability ratios in England are worse than at any point since the ONS data series began in 1999. So, Joe, basically, it's now costing us 8.7 times our average income to own a property, which is uh, not surprising, but um, quite difficult to read. Yeah, I mean, uh, multiples in, in lending have always been a, a bone of contention, really, when you think that sometimes, um, going back in the times, you know, when I was doing mortgages, and certainly I'm sure if uh, Bob was around, he'll probably... Um, sort of add that it, the, the affordability and the multiples were always behind um, and so people could actually probably collectively in a household um, afford a, a, a borrowing but it's not taken into consideration as a, as a, a total so it was always um, the first lender had a certain amount and the second lender would be allowed to use a multiple of, of maybe one one and a half uh, times their income and the first lender was allowed to use up to three times back in back in the day that has gradually creeped up um, but of course as house prices continue to rise uh, throughout that time they're always a little bit behind and therefore the affordability becomes a little bit of um, a challenge and a bit out of reach having said that i mean when you look at collective household income that comes in people are able to afford um, and, and, and in a traditional way, going back uh, the 40 odd years, a, a lot of the families, a lot of people used to actually live together and, and worked, worked together and each one bought a property as a successive. So basically they bought the property uh, as, as maybe four or five people that were there and then gradually they parted um, and the next one and the next one and the next one so that basically everybody ultimately were able to own their own property but it was always restricted by the uh, the multiples that the lenders would consider and so from memory it was sort of three three and a half times maybe if you're a professional or dentist doctor or, or something of that ilk you might have got a stretch in terms of maybe four maybe four and a half times income 
because of the surety of the regular income that would get the majority was three three and a half times and then the first one would be uh, sorry the second lend, uh, second borrower would be like one time one and a half times uh, the income so that was a collective way of their multiplying and uh, and allowing for lending but of course that has gradually gone up and i know that recently it's it's um when Bob was on, on our program recently, I think he sort of muted that sort of up to seven, eight times income is considered. As again, the, the higher is normally considered for what they classify as professional bodies. Um, people like doctors and dentists and, you know, um, who's going to have regular employment, regular income. So they feel safer that their affordability factor um, is, is much higher than perhaps someone who is um, moving around in their, in their job. Um, so it was always behind Paul. It was always the, the challenge in trying to own a home. But the real thing is that people did rise to it and have continued to rise to it throughout that time um, because that's, that's the ultimate wish. Margaret Thatcher doesn't come in for a lot of praise here because she let them off the leash, the banks that is, in 1986 when she brought through deregulation. Normal income multipliers before that were, as you say, three times annual salary of the principal earner and then half of the salary of the second owner, which in those days was usually the wife. Uh, it had been that way for, for many years post-war, and indeed on the uh, screen, if you're happy to, lucky enough to be watching us in the video version of the uh, show, you'll see that uh, uh, prices, each time there was a, a war, so First World War, Second World War, and indeed even when we had the financial crisis in 2007, the affordability became more affordable, obviously, because things were tight and presumably the market was low, as most people were at war. And then, of course, immediately after those tough times, out came the highest prices and zoomed up like they've done after the uh, pandemic as well. Um, but what's extraordinary is that um, she let them off the hook. And now, of course, it was quite common, even as, re as far ago as 1996, that the ratios really began to climb to six times salary multipliers even then, uh, before we got to the sort of 8.7 that we've got quoted here. So uh, it does make you wonder why... Uh, the 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 government at the time decided to uh, literally make it open market really well <laughs> it's a self explanation explanation there there paul because they know and if we if we look back just over the last couple of years we will see that through the pandemic time the only thing that has actually um stayed steadfast is the the property market um and so it's the old adage of when, when there are crises or when their things are tough, they build them way, build their way out. And this is exactly what they, they tend to do as a government, because one thing is for sure, we all want to own our home um, and, and we'll go to, you know, whatever measures are required to try and make sure that, you know, obviously uh, within the, uh, the parameters, what is uh, what what is required to be done to be able to own uh, own a home and, and, and get on that first run of the property ladder and get get a mortgage and so forth so um you know they will always unleash situations where they think they can motivate just take for example in the pandemic no stamp duty that's no stamp duty situation did exactly of uh, you know what margaret thatcher did at the time to get the housing market shifting and and it, it pays dividends for them each time not only because it continues to sustain the property market but also the income that comes in from the higher price brackets uh through stamp duty collection 
is a huge amount of money that they would lose. So it is a way to bring more, more, more and more money back into the uh, the uh, treasury, um, and um, and they'll continue to do that. Of course, there has been a number of factors that, if you like, lit the fires under all of this inflationary effect, because um, obviously years of low interest rates, cheap buy-to-let mortgages, help to buy schemes, stamp duty holidays, decimation of social housing, increased population, and failure to deliver anything near the quality quantity of new build homes. It's not hard to see why the prices have spiraled as a result of that. We've got crisis where we've just not enough stock for people to to, to buy um, and so therefore it's not surprising I guess that this is the second time this century that we've had it over eight times because the last time of course was 2007-8 and those low interest rates have given people I think it's fair to say a false sense of security would you say Joe? Yes it is a false sense of security in, in the sense that it's more affordable but equally the, the people aren't naive they they do take the opportunity there and think, okay, well, this is a great time for me to get into this because the interest rates are low and I'm not going to pay out as much. Um, I suppose the, the reality of it is people do tend to look at the uh, ultimate capital return that uh, that they actually do. In other words, the equity in their property um, becomes, because that's the, it's the higher amount of savings that they're ever likely to do you know, even if they were saving regularly from their income, it's never going to be at the ratio. I think it was uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did a program and we were talking about, you know, the amount that it was increasing on a on an annual basis was uh, higher than the basic salaries or the, or, the, or the standard salaries. So you can see that if somebody has a salary for, let's say, £30,000, £35,000, and the value of their home is increased by £35,000, £40,000, They've actually had the benefit of um, having an income and living life, and at the same time having a savings through the um, in, in equity increase in their house of thirty odd thousand pounds, which was just never going to happen if they were working and trying to save. So the driver to own a property is always high, and uh, so yes, they will take advantage, um, and everybody will. I mean, I don't know anyone who probably wouldn't take advantage, unless of course you're at the other end when you are calling it a day of retirements there, you're going to actually be sitting on the cruise, enjoying the Mediterranean sun and don't care about it. But everybody else is probably still on, on the verge of trying to get to the uh, the cruise. Indeed. Uh, there is a paradox, isn't there, really? And, and, and an absurdity in our attitude uh, to house prices. I mean, uh, the affordability on one hand, you know, we rejoice at the asset value increasing. But on the other hand, we bemoan the cost of obtaining an asset and worrying how our kids will ever be able to afford to to make the purchase of a property in the first place and given these figures today that prospect becomes even further away for young people we can't really have it both ways can we joe we can't sit there and be proud of the fact that we've made 30 grand in a year and yet our our kids are unable to get on the ladder surely we can't be there's absolutely uh, no reason to be proud of but then on the other hand you know from my point of view the way i would see it is that if you didn't have the properties, you wouldn't have the equity, you wouldn't be able to give your children maybe a deposit um, any other way for them to get on the run of the property ladder because you'd actually be able to refinance or, or release the equity from your own property to be able to give them. Otherwise, kids are never going to be able to save the amount that they need to do in order to buy it. So it will never happen. But it's, it's a chicken and egg situation, really. What comes first? And here comes the situation where... You know, you've, somebody's got to buy, so the parents have bought, they bought the property some years ago, there is equity in those, 
and that equity can be released because obviously upon death, what's going to happen? You know, the kids are going to get it. Um, and if that's the case, then they may as well have it earlier and, and people can actually turn around and do some refinancing. So if we didn't have that tool of a home or a property in the first place, uh, there are lots of things you couldn't do, even though it's harder to think that to maintain it and get somebody on, on that run of the ladder. You know, what? which one do you take? Do you take the fact that you have to have that in order to maybe, maybe get the release of the uh, equity and able to help your children or not help your children and they spend the rest of their time perhaps just renting and never get on the housing ladder? It's a real, real difficult decision to make, but I think it's an easy one if you have the chance to um, uh, offer the kids a, a step on the first run of the property ladder. There's some interesting comment from uh, the the uh, professional uh, property people. Um, here's an example from James Forrester, who's managing director of Barrows and Forrester. He says, the government has a great deal to answer for when it comes to the plight of today's home buyer, and the blame can't be solely placed at the door of one mop-headed buffoon. For years, they've insisted on fueling buyer demand while f failing to address the severe reality of the housing crisis by actually building more homes, and this has pushed prices beyond record highs. Um, also, there is a suggestion that um, as affordability has become a bit of an anachronism, really. Insatiable demand for an ever-growing population coupled with limited supply of housing and a slowing production line of new, new, new build developments will see continued upward pressure on house prices. So... Do you think that because obviously we've had such low rates, a lot of people have perhaps been um, given a false sense of security that they could afford to buy a house? And what we'll see now as this affordability or the unaffordability index continues to rise, that there will be casualties in terms of repossessions? I don't think there'll be as many casualties as one perhaps thinks there would be if um, things are controlled. I mean, okay, uh, inflation is very high now um, and bank rates are go is going up. Um, and if that can be, con the inflation can be somehow controlled, the bank rate is likely perhaps not to continue to go up. Um, at the same time, uh, what the bank rate and the, and the, and the borrowing rate uh, is much, much lower uh, in history than it has probably been for as long as we can think back. I mean, people will remember, you know, 18, even 20 percent, 15 percent, I can remember when um, when the interest rates were up as much as that. So by comparison, we're 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 in a pretty good place. Um, but yes, it, it, the, the, the challenge will always be there. I think, you know, you're looking at um, the, the, the distance. But like I said, you know, if, if you look back at the the value in the homes, at least you got that to be able to fall back on, to be able to do a release and then maybe start again. And going back a little bit on, on, on that time, you know, buy to let didn't exist um, 25 years ago. It just didn't. It was nothing of the sort. Um, and the government realized and the people realized that there was a need for that because uh, people wanted to in invest and wanted to do it the correct way. The original way was that every member of the family ended up buying a property and, and they found a, a route to do that because and, and they all lived still in the one place and continue to rent the ones that they weren't afforded to, to live in. But then buy to let came in because they realized that people are doing that. So they may as well make money on it. And not only has that made money for people that are renting out, maybe not a lot of money, but some money, but it's the capital growth that has happened 
uh, has given them the chance to say, well, look, this is a great way for me to build my portfolio, increase my income and have, have the savings. You have to say, looking at the graph, and for the benefit of the people listening on the podcast, the uh, the graph from Schroders here actually has the uh, average house price affordability and earnings going back to um, 1845. So currently, the average house price is 251,000, according to the graph, and the average earnings are just over 30,000 a year, which gives you 8.7 as a multiple. If you go back to 1845, Joe, look at that there. That's uh, nearly 13 times the average salary was what, what it cost to buy a house in 1845. Must have been horrendous. Yes, but look at the house prices by comparison to then. <laughs> you know, I mean, in 1845, I'd hate to think what you were going to be paying for a for a house, I, I, I can only recall the first house that um, uh, mum and dad and, and, and bought, and I remember that was, I think, something like uh, uh, 1,400 pounds to buy a terraced house um, back in uh, 60, early 60s, 65, that sort of time. Um, so, I mean, if you look at that time, instead of 1845, just look at, you know, 1960, 62, from the time from, you know, when we were here, to where we are, look at the percentage of growth there. So I think by comparison, actually we're we're now better off than they were in in that time because the multiple at that time was thirteen times, and here we're at least at six and seven multiples. So you know, the, but there has been a gain in in the in the capital return, i.e., the growth of it. Would have been a great time to get into the market in nineteen eighteen, just after the First World War, when salaries were twice the house price. So in two years, you could have paid for your house. I know hindsight's a great thing. I wish I'd done that, and I wish I'd done this. But we, we are where we are today, and that's what property matters does. It discusses what we do today against what we could have done then. Indeed. Let's move on to our second story. It's a returning story for us, really. It's uh, about the EPC upgrades. If you remember, landlords by 2025 or 28, depending on their circumstances, will have to have an EPC certificate of C rating or above. Uh, 77% of landlords say they're only willing to pay up to three grand to upgrade to their property to get to a C. That's despite the fact that the average cost to upgrade to a C is just over £10,500 per property. 78% of landlords needing to spend more than this amount, according to this new survey from Paragon Bank. Um, the managing director says it's encouraging to see that landlords anticipate the future portfolio expansion will target properties rated EPCC or above, bringing more efficient properties into the private rented sector. Um, it's interesting that some of these mortgage companies, and Paragon was one of them, are offering better rates for people who will do this uh, particular work, Joe. And uh, also, there, there's a suggestion that actually the market is starting to force this because already searches for things like solar power on right move and sustainability are rocketing. The figures are rocketing in terms of what uh, right move is saying. So uh, um, the, uh, we'll just see if I can find the figure here. Um, where are we? Um, can I see it? I'll come to it in a minute, don't worry. But um, the landlords are basically saying that uh, six in 10 said that they would use savings, making it most popular source of potential finance, followed by three quarters um, who said that they would increase rent uh, and one in five would rely on government funding 
just one in 10, 8% would utilize a further advance from a mortgage lender or take out a loan. And a similar proportion, 7% said they would release equity from their portfolio. Because this will be quite a challenge for landlords to, to do this, especially if they've got quite a large portfolio. Yes, it will be, but uh, there is an upside to it. And, and um, the, the main thing here is that, um, you know, uh, again, it's the government driving this. It's obviously their target for 2050, I think, of reducing um, the, the carbon and the carbon footprint. And so therefore they want to uh, make sure that uh, uh, homes are up to a minimum standard of C. Um, and of course, that means that they've got to invest in those property. Now, it's easy to say 3,000 is all they wanted to invest, but you know, pretty much every time a tenant moves out, you're going to spend way more than that just to get it up to speed, to re-let re it. So that's your window of opportunity. And I think you'll probably find that um, uh, anything between five and 10,000 is probably more the number um, that you'll end up having to spend. And of course, if you are doing that, um, then A, uh, you're probably going to get an increased rent because the property has been refurbished and redone. And uh, obviously there may be some gains if it becomes more um, efficient, especially taking into consideration now that the, how, how the cost has gone up um, with utilities. I mean, you know, gas prices, electric prices and so forth. So I think having a more uh, efficient, uh, energy efficient home is only going to actually um, get a better rent and a better value because people will start to say, well, actually, I want it. And that's probably why right move searches and so forth have gone up, especially where, um, you know, uh, solar panels are concerned and and, um, and other efficiency methods that have been used on their property. Uh, and people are then saying, OK, well, that's going to reduce my monthly, weekly outgoings on electric. I mean, you imagine for some households, having to do a, a pay-as-you-go, you know, you're constantly at the shop loading up the little digit machine, card, whatever they've got to do, in order to make sure that they've got sufficient electric or gas. Um, but if it was made uh, energy efficient, that visit to that shop may not be as regular as, as one wants to. Yes, I think um, the fact that, um, well, if just, just have a look at uh, some, some at the other side of this story, there's also a report this week that says that, um, uh, in this case, it's Caerphilly Council, uh, Caerphilly County Borough Council, their cabinet has agreed to take enforcement action on private landlords who fail to meet minimum energy efficient standards in their properties. As a result of this decision, officers from the council will now be able to issue fines to landlords who rent properties that have an EPC of F or G, already this is, by the way, um, of reaching up to £5,000 uh, on their properties. So, I mean, at the end of the day, what's going to happen is that enforcement's going to come in. So this whole thing about uh, we want landlords to come on the journey with this, what will happen, of course, is that everybody will start using a system like this, I guess. They'll just enforce it, won't they? Yes. And, and you know, why allow them to come in and enforce it? That's what you've got to take on board, because that's money you're going to have to pay. That money you could actually use to do the, the property up to the scratch you need to do it. So... You know, um, it is probably a sledgehammer to crack a nut situation, but they will do it. Um, and it also means that there are people that will just say, I'm not going to do it. I'd rather pay the £5,000. 
But that £5,000 may not be a one-off thing. It might come back a year after and a year after and a year after until you do get it right. In the meantime, you're spending out. So my advice would be that um, take heed. Don't let them come and pay you, fine you 5000 You may as well utilise that 5000 as a fine towards getting your property up to scratch and meeting the requirements. It may be that that's all you need. It may be that you actually need less than that. Maybe that your property is already, you know, D, it just needs to get to C. Um, and it's not, not a great deal, but you just need to make sure that you do it. And landlords need to take heed because the councils will come. I mean, they're all desperate for money, obviously, and they'll do whatever it takes. And if it means they've got to you know, fine you up to £5,000, that's what they're going to do. It's interesting to see that actually the average is uh, D level in the UK. So the average um, housing stock is D. Um, and in this survey at uh, Caerphilly, 90% of landlords are already working with the borough. So it suggests that there is a, a willingness to work. And as you say, why would you want to go against that? Because you're going to get a fine anyway. But one wonders whether the 10% that aren't working with the council are actually the 10% that are G or F rated. There are many uh, G, D, sorry, G, F and, and worse rated ones, Paul. Uh, there are some properties that are just not worth worth counting for. And yes, I, I agree that they need to be brought up to scratch. But of course, if somebody doesn't actually monitor them or chase them or, or, or threaten them with some sort of system, they are likely to be left there. And, and of course, that means that the people that are living there are, are not enjoying it in the best way. So um, yeah, it is, it is, a, it is a bit of a, a sledgehammer, but I, I, I'm saying don't let the councils the authorities use it, just turn that into positivity. And if it means that you've got to go out there and get that work done, um, it might only cost you a couple of thousand pounds if you're already at D to get to C. It may not be a, a huge thing that you've got to do, but if you don't do it, you'll pay, you pay Z price, which is 5,000 pounds. Forget about being A, B, C, D or E, you'll be paying uh, that. And, and then you're still going to have to spend the money to do it up anyway. Um, so, you know, why if it double bubble? It would be silly not to not to take the heed of this advice. And it does seem that uh, the government needs to be a bit more clear on this, because if you look at some of those photo, uh, those uh, figures, rather, that the, the landlords are saying, well, you know, I'll wait till government grants come out and all that kind of thing. Well, there's no evidence that that's going to be the case. So there seems to be a lot of, well... Not quite sure how it's all going to pan out and until the government say you know how much they're going to cap it to if they are going to cap it or how much they're going to give in grants etc so i suppose this this hiatus in terms of change change of leadership won't move things forward any quicker than we had hoped but one hopes that when we get get a new leader and a new housing minister in place that that some of this information is going to come out so that landlords can plan because you know 25 2025 is not that far away and, uh, um, and an element of planning is needed for this. Yes, but I, I just don't get what, what it's got to do with a, a coming leader or not. I mean, it's just common sense, you know. We know that target has been set for achieving C. Um, and why wait for grants and so forth? I mean, if you're, if you're in a state where you've you know, got no choice but to wait for a grant, well, of course, that's going to be the case. But by waiting for a grant, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you going to end up paying a fine? Um, and is that fine going to be greater than what the potential grant might be? Um, so it's just about, you know, uh, taking your own life in your own hand and say, well, this is the right thing for me to do. I've got a couple of properties. They need to be brought up to scratch. And either I take it or somebody else does it. And then I'm still going to have to pay for it. So I think um, I think it's something that, you know, everybody should take on board. It's not going to go away. It is a target that's set. 
and it doesn't matter which minister comes in uh, and who runs what that's been set out you know sort of globally and uh, people are going to have to sort of you know take advice and and make sure that they they get this done sooner rather than later our final story uh, is very much on a similar um, theme, really, Joe, uh, and a report which I did mention a moment ago from Rightmove, which was published this last week, um, found that buyers are likely to try and negotiate um, asking prices discounts to factor in the cost of making green improvements over the next 10 years. So um, we've got to make homes greener by 2050 to reach net zero, which is the part of this whole process. There's a lack of understanding about what improvements to make and minimal financial incentives, as we've just discussed. But four in 10 homeowners, 41%, have already made changes to improve their home. And the remaining 59% of the, um, the biggest reasons for them not doing so are that they don't feel they need to make improvements or that the improvements are too expensive to make. So it's interesting that actually homeowners are probably even more proactive than, than landlords potentially at this time. So this is going to be driven perhaps by, by people buying property. Yes, I mean, people are buying property now, and that's what Right Move is saying. The people are beginning to buy and do their search based on the efficiency of the home. Um, and that efficiency of the home will make a difference in what price people will pay. And equally, if it's not efficient, what they will start to do is take into consideration how much it's going to cost them to make it efficient and therefore perhaps uh, adjust their offer accordingly. Um, so uh, it's really... Uh, it's, it's an area that's just, it's not going to go away. So either people will turn around and say, we've got to do it. My only concern is that the services and, and the systems that are offered and provided are pretty laxy-daisy in my book. You know, I mean, to have those horrible, ugly, um, uh, what do they call them? Um, um, it's gone out of my head now, but... Um, uh, the uh, the efficiency for um, uh, increasing electricity, you know, on your roofs is just horrible. It's ugly, isn't it? Those massive solar panels—that's the word. I just, you know, I mean, someone's got to come up with something a little bit more tasteful. You know, if the government can turn around and the local council can give you an absolute headache of what a house looks like and it's listed or it has a certain look and so forth, they've got to start to think about these operations who's actually just giving you complete rubbish to put on your roof and all that effort you were to put to put a nice home together and then all of a sudden you've got this you know monstrosity of a sheet on top of the roof of your house which actually becomes the focal point forget about the nice you know flower beds you might have actually put into the into the nice juliet baskets and so forth but all you got is this ugly looking thing and that's and to actually install those is equally as ugly as they are. I mean, the cost of them is just ridiculous. So I think they've got to sort of make that a little bit more affordable for people to buy into the idea and say, yes, I'll do it. Um, you know, uh, and, and obviously it's mass production. The, the quicker these things happen, the, the better it is. But if the government can actually put some nice um, street lighting in some of the, the darkest area based on solar panels, then I'm sure um, there is companies out there. I mean, I'd like to see roof tile um, style of, of solar panels so that basically they blend in and they link in and so forth. And then it's probably not so obvious. But, you know, when you're looking at something, you're driving towards something and the only thing that catches your eye is, 
is the the panel then you know i just think that and so that is a deterrent paul in my mind people if, if they if you've got anything like me you, you're beginning to think i'd rather not have it um because it makes my home look ugly i just don't want to do it but if if that was changed then the chances are that more people will take that on board and especially if you've got a a traditional you know cottage in the middle of the country somewhere or a thatched cottage i mean how how do you do that you've uh, you're almost focusing you know sunlight onto a thatched cottage um through this glass panel i mean that can't be particularly healthy and safe um to do that so i think you know people in design you've got to look at what what was uh, and the cost of putting them in and the amount of um electric you're saving to and bringing back to the to the main grid you know the quotes and the people that i've spoken to i mean you could be doing that for another 10 years before you actually see the benefit of sticking those panels up there which are ugly in the first place um to get any any return so it's not as exciting it's just that it's a tick the box syndrome isn't it you know i've got one because i tick the box of I'm now in c as opposed to d so there's got to be a little bit more improvement on on how that's going to happen i'm sure somebody's working on it and um you know we'll we'll get there but uh, i i personally think that all the things that are designed to make things um more greener, more efficient, are as not as um, friendly as they could be, as they could be. Yeah, it's an industry in its infancy, isn't it? Um, Rightmove has done an analysis of 200,000 homes listed on their site that had sold twice with an improved EPC rating the second time. And they worked out that people who'd uh, upgraded from an F to a C added on average 16% to the price of the property, which which is interesting because in previous articles we talked about the fact that they didn't think there was much return on the value of the property for improving. But I suppose because so many people are now starting to see that what was starting to look for properties that have got better EPC ratings because they want to do the right thing, suddenly that is becoming an advantage. Um, and if you take that average house price that we took, talked about, you know, 251,000, that's going to add around 40k to the value of a property just from moving from F to C. And if you move from E to C, it's an extra 8%. And from D to C, resulted in an extra 4%. So um, there is some way of clawing the money back, perhaps. And yes, and again, you know, social media, the modern way of marketing, understanding things on a smartphone, the next generation, they look at all these things that are going to um, make it a little bit more efficient. And to top it all with the amount of increased, I mean, look what they're talking about now, increases of, uh, of gas and electric and energy, uh, um, it, it, despite obviously um, the income that the CEOs have had from that, they are you know, they're colossal amounts of money um, that they are going to go up by three or four thousand pounds a year in um, in electricity and gas. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anything that's going to make it efficient, people will probably pay a little bit more money because they're going to say, you know, they, they may pay a little bit on one side and save on the other side. But saving is more regular than just that one extra price that they're going to pay. So if they're paying 15, 16, 20,000 pounds more for a more efficient property. Um, but you know, they're going to be there for 10 years and at, say, £5,000, it's a much, much a bigger saving than paying the extra price. So it is important for people to, to go down the route of uh, making their homes as efficient as possible um, with a long-term gain that the house prices and the investment that they've made in their property 
actually will pay dividends. So, yeah, and, and of course, because they are marketed now, Paul, um, uh, much more regularly, much more efficiently on social media, through um, the World Wide Web, et cetera, et cetera, it, it's all in the palm of the hand. It's, it's not about walking down the road and saying, oh, I wonder if this is it. I mean, that information is readily available right in front of you, and they make an instant decision out of what is being put in front of them. So um, it, is, it is quite important for everybody to, I guess, take heed of this. Anyone who's used the Right Move tool will know that you've got keyword search on there, and they've released some figures that solar panels, for example, have risen from a keyword search of 500 in November 2020 to position 98, so up from 500 to 98 in two years. And heat pumps have risen from position 1,000 in the search terms up to 190. Um, and there are now 73% more green terms, such as sustainable and low carbon, uh, being used by agents as selling points when they're making the descriptions for properties on Right Move. Um, and they're also finding that, interestingly, properties that are better EPC rated are now outselling or are faster selling than ones with lower. So, for example, a B-rated house um, for the first time overtook a D-rated house. Um, so 30 days for a, a, a B-rated house, a D-rated house, 31 days. And that's that, that gap is growing as more and more people look for the better quality properties. And I think the key to this surely will be in those mortgages, because if mortgage lenders start to give better rates for better quality houses, then everyone's going to want a better quality home in the first place, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they've got it right, haven't they? They've worked it out. They know that uh, the you know if you've got a more efficient home, they're going to give you a better rate. If you've not got an efficient home, you're not going to get a better rate. Not only are you not going to get a better rate, but you're also going to be liable for a fine. And if you don't get a fine, you're going to have to get the work done anyway. So you know, they've, they've mastered this situation to try and make it as efficient as possible. And um, landlords and homeowners themselves have got to, you know, join that or, or, or pay the fine. And if they pay the fine, they're still going to have to do the work. And if they still have to do the work and pay the fine, um, they're not going to get the increase. They might do over the years, um, but you've got to wait a bit longer. It all equally means that there might be some remortgage deals, which obviously someone like Bob will be able to look into um, whereas if they have made the uh, uh, property more efficient, they might be able to go to another lender and say, look, we've upgraded it from F to C, um, you know, what, what rate are you offering us now? And they could refinance and actually find that the savings that they make by doing the refinance will be as much, if not greater, than the amount it cost them to do, the, do it up in the first place. So there could be a win-win situation all round. Um, and of course, uh, it's the property market, you know, it's what people love and they will do it because they see that, that return in there. Um, and if they see the return, they will just turn around and say, I've got to continue to do this. So they, they've mastered it and we've just got to make sure we master it accordingly. So what do you think the EPC rating will be on this show then, Joe? I think we are A, mate. There's no plus about that. We're A plus, you know, we, we, are, more, we, we, we are more efficient than you know any kettle that you're going to get with you know a rating well i have to say that with all this focus on green um stories this week we certainly should be up there at the very top of the epc ratings uh, thank you very much indeed joe for all of your wisdom as always this week and thank you for watching property matters we'll see you again next week same time <music>